I appreciate it. Fake, fake standing ovations. That's a fake standing O right there. So anyway, have a seat. Um, can I have Pastor Professor Ellington Porter come here real quick? You know, one of my hopes in leading the school is to model uh, how to lead organizations, how this thing happens. And it's a complex thing leading a university. We have uh, an all-star kingdom lineup. Uh, Larry Bach, Vinny Zarletti, Jeff Dio. And last year, um, uh, the provost of the university, uh, Dr. Tucker, and um, the dean of the College of Fine Arts, Larry Bach, came to me and said, hey, you know that guy that you had visit the school last month? Do you think we'd have any shot at getting someone like him or him to come be part of this team? And I said, you don't know what you're asking. The Porter brothers are inseparable. They're iconic out in Sacramento. Tacoy Porter, Ellington Porter. This school has really no idea how uh, prolific and known and the scale of what the Porter brothers mean in that part of the country and around this country. And uh, for Ellington Porter to uh, leave the church that his dad pastored and then after his dad's passing, he and Tacoy and to leave um, Sacramento I can't even tell you what this move was. I'm like, I can't believe this. I cannot believe you're coming. I can't. He was born and raised in St. Paul, so he knew what he was getting into. But had been in Sacramento for years. And, but the team, Vinny, Jeff, Larry, um, there's a lot of ego in music, if you haven't noticed. There's so, many, so much ego and personality in general. Um, and you never know how it's going to work. But I can truly say that from Larry Bach, Jeff Dio, Vinny Zarletti, Ellington Porter, that these are four of the finest Christian leaders and lovers of the Lord. And how you four have modeled this new relationship and this new construct and this new person grafting in the honor that you defer one to another is one of the most beautiful things. You are modeling something, not just for all the COFA uh, majors, but for the university. And, but I just want to tell you, pastor, professor, I still can't believe you're here. And I can't believe we're here uh, in this place, but we love you and you are making a profound difference in the culture and life of this school. Man. I honor you, man. I love you. Now that's a real standing O right there. All right, hey, yeah. All righty. My whole life I've preached anywhere from 40 to minutes to an hour every week. This has just been a total recalibration to speak for 20 minutes. Um, it's really changed uh, a lot. So I give you like one-point messages or passages that are part of larger 
text, but I, I just really this year, I want to continue to give you the portions of the Bible that have changed my life, um, that were cornerstone pivot moments for me. And um, we want to get into this uh, if we can. So we're going to put on this, so a lot of verses today on the screen. We're going to tie in Gospel of John, Gospel of Luke, and the book of Genesis. And all this will make sense. And I want to share something on this day um, about uh, Samaria in Jesus's uh, travel through this place called Samaria. Pretty popular story. The second passage is less popular. People don't connect it. In the third passage, nobody understands the connection. And I think in the next 20 minutes, we're going to have a, a wonderful time in God's word here. It says in John chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 1, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, uh, this human paranoia kicks in of obsolescence or relevance, like, oh, you have more followers, there's more disciples, that age-old trigger inside every one of us that feels jealous, that feels inadequate, uh, that envies other people's popularity, their success, this kicks in. And so these Pharisees were upset that the disciples uh, that they were making that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. He left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, one of the most famous lines in all the Bible. I must go through Samaria. I have to go through this, this particular town. So he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar, near a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. They took a different route. They wanted nothing to do with this neighborhood. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman. We have not mixed uh, uh, for literally 500 years since the Old Testament when Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, fell to the Assyrian army. And in 722 BC, they fell to that Assyrian army 116 years later, 606 BC. Babylon was now the world power, having usurped the authority of the Assyrians, and Babylon then invaded the southern kingdom of Judah, carried off in three different invasions over a 20-year period of time in 606, 596, 586, three famous dates. Daniel was taken to Babylon. And then in 536, the Lord completed the 70 years that was prescribed, uh, Jeremiah um, 29.10, uh, for 70 years they had to go into exile. They had neglected Jubilee. They had neglected the land. There was a really a conglomeration of reasoning for their 70-year judgment uh, that they had neglected the Lord for hundreds of years in the celebration and feast cycle. And so they went into captivity, and they then returned in 536. When the Jews returned in 536 back to both uh, the Judean area and the Israeli area, the southern and northern former kingdoms, and regrouped, they encountered people in Samaria that 100 
and 16, now 116 plus 70, 186 years has gone by um, from the 722 to the 536, and now they encountered several generations of people who had married the colonizers, the Assyrians. So you had Jewish people married Assyrians, and they had a blood mix, and this had been now for four or five generations. And the Jews that returned distanced themselves from the Samaritans who had mixed blood. They were racially tainted. They were racially different than the Jew. And so the Samaritan, in 536 forward to the time of Jesus for the next 500 years, became a growingly despised people racially to the Jew and also to the Gentile. So much so that by the time Jesus shows up, the word Samaritan was a racial vulgarity. Samaritan was the N-word. He said he has a devil, he's a devil, and he's a Samaritan. They were lashing out at Jesus using this culturally constructed racial vulgarity at Jesus called Samaritan. That's the context of this story. So now Jesus has got to go through that space. This space that has been hundreds of years in the making. This isn't an overnight issue. This is hundreds of years in the making that Jesus goes to the well. And he's about to tie one of the most prolific moments of the Old Testament, hundreds of years before the Assyrian invasion of Samaria and the great restoration of Israel under Nehemiah in 536 when that process began. But hundreds of years before that, this story's in play. It's bringing all of this history into one setting. This is the well that Joseph, or Jacob gave to Joseph in Sychar. That well, like, that's tying a whole lot of human history, converges into a relationship with a woman sitting on a well who is of this different racial hue and description and construct. Jesus said, I've got to go there. The disciples said, eh, I'm going to avoid that neighborhood. If you walk in a straight line from Galilee to Judea, it takes three days on foot. Rome built a road that circumvented Samaria. So imagine if I'm, if you're in California, this makes sense. I'm going from Seattle to Sacramento. I can take Interstate 5 straight, straight down from Seattle, Sacramento. Takes X amount of time. Or I can take another highway that bows way over into Idaho, Nevada, and then joins it up down here. That was the popular road that united the Gentile and the Jew. They were only united on one count. The Jew and the Gentile were only united around their common desire to avoid Samaritans. They build highways around those neighborhoods so they could avoid the neighborhood. And so that's where the disciples went. And Jesus said, no, I'm going straight through the neighborhood with all of its history. Right into that vortex, right into the pain, the complexity, all of that stuff. And so the woman is saying, hey, why, why are you asking, why are you putting your Jewish lips on a Samaritan cup? You're not supposed to do this. This is against the law. We don't put our lips on that. We don't racially mix Samaritan and Jew. And she said, we've been despised for hundreds of years. And Jesus stepped into that space. Now watch this. It says, uh, sir, you have nothing to give. He says, give me water. 
Jesus in verse 13 answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you are with now is not your husband. So remember, troops, family, Jesus distinguishes between being married and living with somebody. He said, you've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. She lived with all six. But there's a distinction between being married and living with somebody. And Jesus is clear about that. So it says here, uh, you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. She didn't say, oh, you're making me feel bad about the reality of my life. Because he led with optimism. He led with water. He led with relationship. He transcended hundreds, if not over, well over, almost nearly 1,700 years of, of human history. And he builds relationship. So the woman, verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming that neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When the one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. So Jesus nailed it right there. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is not one of many roads to eternity. That's what this culture is laying on us in the name of love and justice is that everybody, if we will do good and tolerate, we all end up in heaven. Jesus taught something radically different. She said, the Messiah's coming. He said, I'm him. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he was speaking with the woman. Yet no one said, you got to get this. What do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the disciples walk into the conversation. And the disciples have shown back up in the neighborhood that they're highly uncomfortable in. And they go, Jesus is talking to her? It says they thought it, but didn't say it. This isn't about us coming together with a declaration or a creed on love and diversity and all the things. It doesn't matter what you say. What is in your heart? It says they thought it, but didn't say it. Some people hold back what they say because they're around a powerful, virtuous, noble kingdom leader and they don't want to look stupid so they don't say anything, but they totally disagree in their heart with what that person's doing. So it looks like they're in agreement because they've said nothing, but it doesn't matter 
that they didn't say it. It says because they thought it. So when you jump ahead to Luke 9, nine months later, Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56, nine months later, you see what was really in their heart. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead of him and they went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him, but they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command down fire and burn these suckers up? We'll consume them right now with fire. You just call it out. We'll call in the airstrike, fire. And Jesus is like, he turned and rebuked them. You do not know what kind of spirit you, you have, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, which tells me this. It's not what you not say, it's what we carry in our heart, and a time will come in which what's, what, what is in your heart, it's going to spill. Something's gonna trigger what's really inside your heart. Something will trigger what's really inside my heart. What was really in the heart is, hey, let's burn this place down. Let's just torch all these Samaritans. That's what they carried nine months earlier. They felt it. Didn't say it. But a moment came and their heart spilled. That's why following Christ is a, it's a work of transformation of your heart. How you think, how you feel, how you see the world internally from the deepest parts of you. So we're not about getting people all to say the same stuff. It's about having your heart healed from long-standing feelings of retribution and superiority and whatever was in James and John wanting to let's just burn the place up. And Jesus said, you don't know what kind of spirit you have. Now, real quickly, in the last 10 minutes, let's go back to this woman at the well and why this matters so much. Genesis 33, 18 and 20. The last three verses of chapter 33 says, now Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. And he came, uh, when he came from Padan and camped before the city, he, brought, he bought the piece of land which he, which he had pitched his tent from the hands of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of, of silver. So Jacob and Esau have had a great reconciliation. They've wept. This broken brotherhood becomes this moment of new momentum of reconciliation between Jacob and Esau, these twins that built separate empires were afraid of each other. They reconciled, they wept. In that <coughs> momentum of reconciliation, Jacob buys a parcel and pitches the tent. The next level of settling is to dig a well. It's on that space that he digs a well. This moment of new momentum, this new chapter of reconciliation, it's powerful until in that very space, verse one of chapter 34 says, now the Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he, he took her and laid with her by force. He rapes her. First rape in the Bible. First rape right there. This wonderful new momentum of reconciliation is destroyed by this awful action of rape. It's like Satan doing everything he can to rob, steal, kill, and destroy and to mark the land like a dog walks in and marks the territory by urinating on something, enemy just walks in and just urinates right there on this land of reconciliation, this well of Jacob. It's an awful collision. Is this reconciliation or is this rape? What a juxtaposition in the Bible. 
So this man, Shechem, and Sychar, if you do your scholarship, you'll find out that Sychar and Shechem are interchangeable terminologies of a person and a land. It's the space where the well of Jacob was dug and established where that first rape took place. Now let's jump ahead to Samaria. You got the racial component of the mixed bloodline and then you have this social component of this woman sitting at a well, sitting at a well, married five times, living with the dude, at the well of Jacob that was established because of victory and kingdom momentum in this beautiful reconciliation, but the enemy has stolen it. And here this woman is sitting right at that well, and that's the cities and the towns and communities that we are all called to be in. That's Minneapolis and that's rural Montana. Our society is sitting there caught between reconciliation and human violation. We as believers step into that space, but if we're afraid to fly in the face of history, fly in the face of social construct, then we will never be able to find the people that need him most. Jesus went to that well. The disciples walked around it. Finally came to that neighborhood. They, were, they shut up. They didn't say nothing. And then nine months later, they say, he wants to burn this down. Man, what's burn it down? Because that's what was in their heart. Jesus delivers this woman. She runs into the city. If you read the text, it says she tells, she becomes this evangelist, this, this person who's met Christ, this new living water, and she runs into the, her community and says, I met a man. And her friends probably said, that's the last thing you need. <sighs> she met another man. No, not that kind of man. I've met the Messiah. So let's just wrap this up. Here we go. A lot of history in our nation. A lot of history in every nation. History that defines our hesitancies. History that defines our patterns. Believers who are so full of God's kingdom, we're not ruled by that history. We understand its existence. It does not navigate our behaviors. Jesus goes to this into this vortex, this well, that hundreds of hundreds of years ago was established because of reconciliation between Esau and Jacob, that the devil stepped right into that reconciliation and this terrible action against Dinah, Jacob's only daughter happens, and she is raped. So we're confused, is, what does this represent? Now, many, many years later, that's where the lost are. And they're torn between both of those replications of human brokenness and the hope of living water and the hope of restoration and reconciliation. You have to go to that space. Every one of us in this room, we are called into that space to move the broken toward the hope of what that well was originally all about. That symbol of Jacob's well, realized metaphorically in the person of Jesus, bringing living water. So no matter what we are told about Samaria, let's all stand together. What we're told about Samaria, 
what we're told about neighborhoods, we have no idea, friends, how neighborhoods actually became the way they are. We just offer a quick evaluation the way that the disciples did. And they said, I ain't going through that neighborhood. I'm going to take the highway around. So the Gentiles and the Jews walked six days to avoid Samaria. When going the way Jesus went, it takes three days. Because friends, I want you to hear me, it takes more effort to avoid people than it does to engage with them. Oh, we got to go reach the lost. No, no. We spend more time, money, and energy mapping out avoidance than we do ministering to the world that is right in front of us at every given moment. So I pray that we would be a Samaria-driven university. We would not be afraid of a single neighborhood. We would not be ruled by history. We would not be uh, follow patterns. That We would let Jesus heal our hearts, not just keep us quiet because we don't want to look like we don't agree. If there's any fire in my heart toward any people group, because I carry all this, the miseducation and that powerful message yesterday, that miseducation, Lord, heal my heart. I don't want to call fire down on anybody. God, that is up to you in your timing. I want people to be saved. I want them to be healed. I want to be in relationship. I want to put my Jewish lips on a Samaritan cup every single day in every single way that I can in my life. And I believe that's why you're at this university, you're learning top level skill sets to go out of this place and to go through Samaria, not to walk around it. So Jesus, we pray. Let's lift our hands again, as Pastor Ellington told us earlier to do. Can we lift our hands? Lord, we receive the word right now. Into our life, Lord Jesus, we receive these, these passages of Scripture, Lord. I know it can look like a complicated, quick, fast, and furious teaching, Lord, but it really is not. Father, heal our hearts and make us new, God. Make us one. Father, we give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory in this house. Thank you for an amazing week, an amazing month, God. We can't wait for next week and the week after and the week after, God. Lord, help this student body to honor you in all of their ways, God. To grow together as a family, Lord, as a family, Lord. Lord, to sit with new people at lunch, Lord. To be able to reflect, Lord, that university that looks like heaven, God, in our classes, Lord. Lord, in the cafeteria, God. Lord, help us to always be, Lord, including people that are different than us, oh God. And Father, we love you, we praise you, we honor you, and we give you all the glory in this building today, in Jesus' name. How many glad you came to chapel on Friday today? Now, I want you to... <clears throat> Get all, get all your homework done and stay on fire for Christ. Now watch, Fridays is, is prayer and fasting time. Uh, Pastor Grammer, um, Doug Graham, Dr. Graham is not here today, uh, but our team is going to hang around to pray. Some of our faculty and staff that are here could make yourselves available. This morning, if you can stay around for a little while and just to pray, spend some time with the Lord on Friday, as many of you always do. These altars are open. There'll be some faculty and staff up here uh, waiting to pray for you and uh, minister to you. We love you, man. Let's just go take it. Let's go out there in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. God bless. Hallelujah.